You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you ready? Are you ready for some scolding hot takes? Talking Vikings with Dane Misutani and Chase Frederick. This is Inside Purple and Gold. Hey, welcome to Inside Purple and Gold. Jace Frederick, Dane Mizutani talking a Vikings win, or as I saw it described many ways on Twitter, uh, a Lions loss. Minnesota comes back to pull out a 28-24 victory at home over Detroit. After trailing by 10 in this game, trailing by 14 in the first half, 10 in the second half, building themselves hole after hole. With a little help uh, from the opponent, they got out of it. Uh, It all comes to a culmination of Kirk Cousins hitting K.J. Osborne for touchdown to end the game. Uh, Well, not to end the game, but with 28-yard touchdown with like 45 seconds to go. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. Minnesota pulls it out. Dane, what were your takeaways from that one? One that did not look pretty many, many times for Minnesota, but will still at the end of the day go down as a W in the column. Uh, Takeaways are like at least Detroit still plays in the division because no matter how good Detroit is or is supposed to be or how improved they they appear to be, they're still Detroit at the end of the day. And and the Lions are going to Lions. I I mean, we saw, I saw that on Twitter a lot. Um, This was, a meltdown by them. Uh, it's it's a game they had in the bag. So if you're a Vikings fan right now, you can't feel very good walking away from this. Like you'll just take this and move on to week four. Um, but we talked a little bit about this on Thursday. Like all they really did was hold serve and they held serve in probably the least impressive fashion uh, imaginable um, clutch play down the stretch by Kirk cousins clutch play down the st- stretch by, by KJ Osborne a couple highlights from the defense here and there um, in the second half. First half, that defense looked like they were going to continuously get gashed, which I'm, I'm not so sure they won't over the course of the season. Um, but there were some bright spots in the second half. But overall, when when you digest this game, when you move forward, you just can't be feeling too good about this. I don't know how good the Vikings are. Um, we, we still don't know how good they are. Um, maybe we, we, maybe we know they're not that good because they, they're struggling to beat Detroit at home. Um, but at the end of the day, they're two and one heading into week four funky week this week with the London game coming up. I think they're only going to be in London for four days. Um, so the apologists of the Vikings will say, well, we don't know much about them after this week either, because that's such a weird game. Um, but I don't know, Jason, it's just so up and down. It's another example of, of riding this roller coaster, which we've talked a lot about, um, Buckle up. It's going to be like this all season, I think. It's a weird game in that that's what it looks like when two not very good teams meet. Uh, That's what's kind of my takeaway from the whole thing, frankly. Um, That's two teams that look like they're going to finish between 7 and 10 and 9 and 8. That that was really like watching the game. That's what it looked like. Um, And, hey, maybe this win helps push Minnesota more towards that 9-win total uh, that, that helps you sneak into the playoffs. And you can say, hey, they're a playoff team this year. 
that's where they're at right now. And there's a lot of time to grow and maybe there's a lot of growth that can happen on both ends because Minnesota certainly needs it. Um, but you'd rather grow and learn while winning versus losing. So that's really nice for Minnesota. Detroit's got to feel demoralized after this game. Um, I will say like Detroit losing two of their offensive weapons, not like in terms of plays, but Amonor St. Brown left the field for a while with that ankle came back and was essentially jogging around the field the rest of the game. He went from unguardable, like four catches for 54 yards and like a quarter and a half. Minnesota had nothing for him. All of a sudden then, looks like he sprained his ankle. Um, they taped it up and said, get back out there, slugger. Um, and he jogged at, what, 50% speed. Um, still was able to take advantage of some big cushions. And he, did hit, he did hit the 70 and a half over. Uh, he had 73 yards. That, I think that was he went back out there. I think he went back out there just for you for that. Yeah, I think so. I think he's like, he's like, Dane, trust me. I got to put it together. DeAndre Swift uh, suffered look like some kind of knee quad injury whatever um came back out on the field a little bit but you could tell that he was down um because jamal williams was playing almost exclusively at the end like swift was like okay we need a couple plays from like williams has to come off for a little bit swift would go in for like two plays and then back out um so their two biggest playmakers were playing at like maybe 70 percent for you know a good chunk of that game but minnesota's defense still i thought played a little better um jerry goff certainly gashed them when they had time but hey the defense showed up at the end when they absolutely needed it uh Let's get into like the end of this game now because there's plenty of time to say, hey, the offense did this, the defense did this, whatever. Minnesota thoroughly outplayed for much of this game, uh, trailed 14 to 24 when they got the ball back with 10.39 to go in the fourth quarter. And then the Vikings engineered a drive. Uh, six plays, 57 yards, took less than three minutes, ends in an Alexander like bulldog rush. Like, Good Morning Football does like an angry run segment on, I think, Tuesday mornings, maybe, um, where it, Kyle Brand awards it's whoever had like the fiercest run of the week. I'm, I'm sure there'll be other ones, but Alexander Madison literally ran over two dudes um, to get into the end zone on second and goal from the sixth. That was a huge play because like you can't settle for a field goal there. We see how different the game looks in that spot. If you're down seven versus down three, um, what Madison did to power in to cap that drive really like got Minnesota back to a point where it's like, okay, yeah, they're in the game here. Remember when people wanted to trade Alexander Madison, like at the end of training camp, People were saying, oh, let's roll with Ty Chandler. This is proof that, that, like, this is why he's on the team. I'm in an airport. So if you hear this uh, over the intercom, it's because I'm in the Charlotte airport right now. But Alexander Madison, there's a reason the Vikings didn't trade him. It would have had to be not a King's ransom, but no, something really, no. really intense. Like a third uh, round really, pick, really, second round pick. Yeah, something enticing. Um, not like a sixth round pick and, you know, not like a th – the rhetoric was all oh, they'll just trade him for a, a starting center. That, that doesn't happen either. Um, Alexander's Madison was always more valuable on this team. And he showed that today when Dalvin cook got a little banged up, the run was impressive. Uh, I think you were hinting at this, the Detroit management of the game, the rest of the way. Yeah. Was yeah. Not we'll get to that at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Madison finished with seven rushes for 28 in the touchdown. Uh, Dalvin cook, uh, left the game after his fumble where it literally was a butt fumble. Uh, he runs into a, a Vikings lineman and loses the ball and then gets crushed after that, um, which leads to the shoulder injury. Kevin O'Connell saying post game that cook is day to day. Uh, so we'll see if he's ready to go for the London game. Cook apparently told O'Connell, Hey, I'm good to go next Sunday. Um, but we'll see if he's out there next Sunday morning. And if he's not, Minnesota has a really good option in Alexander Madison, who has filled in, capably at minimum before i'm um, in delivered a big play here but so minnesota's still down three at this i mean yeah, still down three at this point uh and you're still not sure which way this game's gonna go but then detroit turns it over on downs uh minnesota did make a couple fourth down stops uh but 
Jamal Williams getting absolutely stuffed on a fourth and one from the Minnesota 30. That was one that it felt like Minnesota absolutely had to have. Um, and the play call Detroit ran, it was like everybody would have bet their house on it being a running play. And essentially it was like Detroit didn't have enough dudes to block Minnesota. Um, but Daniil Hunter was like his one good play of the game. Uh, joins Patrick Peterson for the joint tackle and, and Williams is smothered. And you're like, all right, here we go. Vikings have a chance to get the ball back, get it in field goal range and at least put this thing into overtime. And hey, first play goes to Thielen for 15 yards. Um, and then Detroit just decides we are going to send everybody up the middle of this offensive line via the blitz and absolutely blew up the rest of Minnesota's possession. Um, it was like, throw it away, throw it away, throw it away. Um, the final play, the fourth down play, people were very upset that uh, Thielen and whoever the corner was, I don't know if it's the same guy who got called for six different uh, <laughs> defensive contacts, holdings throughout the game, uh, but... Adam Thielen gets into like a little bit of a holding match um, and there's no call, but frankly, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's ever going to get called on fourth down. It was Amani Uruwarie um, who was just flagged for just about everything, but he did not get flagged on this one, a fourth down play. And frankly, the throw wasn't that close. And it was still like uh, here comes pressure. I'm just going to chuck it. Uh, so Detroit dominates Minnesota on this possession. Uh, the Vikings have to give the ball away uh, with, now 2.36 left, and Detroit gets the ball at the 47-yard line, and it's like, okay, Detroit might be able to run the clock out here. Uh, but frankly, I don't know. Detroit kind of like sold out for the run, which I get for clock purposes, but there was no question what they were doing. It was easy for Minnesota to load up. Detroit didn't have much interest in making Minnesota pay, so to speak. Um, yeah, so Detroit then finally, though, gets one play out of Jamal Williams, and I, this might have hurt the team in the long run. Uh, but Jamal Williams goes left tackle to the Minnesota 36 for 10 yards with two minutes to go. Uh, one, they can wind it down to a minute 20 on the clock. And now you're facing the choice, Dane. And I'm wondering what you're thinking in this spot. Detroit's facing a fourth and four from the Minnesota 36. They're up three, a minute 15 left. What would you do here? Because you see all three options. You can kick the field goal. You can punt, try to pin them inside the 10, or you can go for it and try to end the game. What are you doing in this spot? I'm definitely going for it here. Um, def I, I would never punt from the 36-yard line, for, for the record. Um, but fourth and four, you, you get it, you win the game. Um, I, I know Minnesota's defense stepped up in the second half, but I, I and I know you're, you were down weapons offensively if, if you're Detroit, but at the end of the day, like it's four yards and you win the football game, or you try a 54 yarder. You don't have Justin Tucker back there. You have someone named Austin Cyber. You know, He's like terrible from distance. I wasn't quite aware of this. Detroit fans made it very obvious on Twitter. He is an awful kicker from distance, so that does factor into this. The, the thing that bothered me the most or would if 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 i was someone who had followed the lions intently what would what would have bothered me the most is that dan campbell opted to kick that field goal there but then opted to go for it on fourth and one when he was closer into in, into austin cybert's field goal range on the previous possession it kind of feels like pick one like do you want to go up six there or do you want to try and win the game clearly the, the down and distance and the game situation was a little bit different when, when they were going for it on fourth and one and got stuffed and Minnesota got the ball back. But like all you're doing there is I feel like it, it's, it's gotta be a school of thought. We're going to go for it on fourth down. We're trying to win this game. We're going to try and kill the clock, bleed it out. Uh, it kind of felt like Dan Campbell panicked there. It felt like he didn't really know After what he time wanted out, to do. He had time to think right. about it too. Like he was like, I don't know. Like uh, we'll just try and kick the field goal. If we kick the field goal, then they have to score a touchdown. Obviously, as you said to open the show, like Minnesota scored a touchdown anyway. So it was like, I don't know. I always am going to be in favor of going for the win. Um, 
making it so I don't have to give the other team the ball back. Um, worst case scenario, you go for it on fourth down. Minnesota takes over right where they did when Austin Seibert missed the field goal, which sounds like a lot of people figured he would. Not that good. It's not like, like I said, you don't have Justin Tucker back there. Um, if you do, he's he's a guy that that gives you an advantage. Um, he gives Baltimore Ravens an advantage every week because you can count on him to make basically anything. Uh, there aren't a lot of kickers like that that exist, and Austin Seibert's definitely not one of them. No, he he's he's not good from outside forty yards. The numbers are there; like he's sub fifty percent from out from. Frankly, it's like you shouldn't be an NFL kicker at that point anyway. There are enough other guys on the street who can make those, um, but you don't have a good option. That should be like factor number one where you're ruling that out. I the math says not to do it anyway, but like, yeah, if you want to use one of your best weapons and say, hey, we're gonna give ourselves some kind of advantage because we've got this great weapon, but you don't have one. Um, you have a guy who's a detriment to your team, and you're gonna put him in the big spot to mathematically do the wrong thing anyway. Uh, no thanks. Um, I I I'm totally with you. I would go for it 100 of the time. The field goal, like say say Jared Goff throws an incomplete pass there. Now Minnesota gets it at the 36. Instead, you kick the field goal and miss. Now they get it at the 44. Like, especially when you're protecting a field goal lead, eight yards can make a big difference there too. What's the reward? Is The reward is putting yourself up six with a minute 10 left. Now Minnesota can return the kick out to, you know, the 25 or whatever. Um, and you're still like, and they know they need to score touchdowns, so they're planning for that. And we've seen teams give up scores in that spot all the time. But you're just not in that much better of a spot. And the risk is huge, and the reward is not that big. I would have, I hate punting. I would have understood that more. Um, okay, say you actually pin him inside the 10. Say you pin him conservatively at the eight yard line. Uh, Minnesota now has to go, let's see, 52, 62, 65 yards in 60 seconds or whatever uh, to tie the game, just to have like a decent chance to tie the game. That makes more sense to me than kicking the field goal. I didn't, I mean, like, that was the worst possible decision for a guy who, like, I'd seen grass and whatnot this week. He'd been one of the best last year, I think one of the best this year at knowing when to go for it on fourth, all these types of things. But now this one mattered. Um, this was a situation that really determines a game at the end, and you totally botched it. Um, that was wild. Okay, but let's get past that. Let's do you have something you really want to touch on? No, okay. no, I just, I mean, it, I just wanted to touch on the fact that you said you would have punted from the 36 yard line. Yeah. I, um, I, I think right there, like making a team go an extra 30 I yards. It. I get it. In like, I get it because Minnesota had no timeouts. If they had one timeout or whatever, I'd been like, Oh, okay. Uh, but you see the clock can run Minnesota as it showed at the end of the first half can't always manage the clock anyway. Uh, so like now they don't get it. So Minnesota takes over at the 44 first pass. Every pass on this drive, by the way, from Kirk Cousins went to KJ Osborne. First pass, our guy, our guy in training KJ, camp, incomplete to KJ Osborne. Second pass, this was a nice one over the middle. KJ Osborne, twenty-eight yards. Now we're sitting here, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, got to get down. You got to get down the ball, set yourself up for second down, um, or like get a play going. But either way, like we're looking at, you know, you're probably going to snap it with about thirty-five seconds or so. Um, but so the clock is a factor for sure. Nope, Dan Campbell calls their final timeout got to make the right substitutions as if you didn't already have a defensive pass personnel grouping out there you had to do the exact same thing again uh with 45 seconds left now minnesota gets to dial up whatever they want the clock 45 seconds left from the 28 is not really a factor um you take minnesota from like scramble mode into like oh okay i guess we're in pretty good position here now uh, the clock is stopped we can do whatever we want that was one of the dumber timeouts i've seen a coach take and i've seen a lot of dumb timeouts in the nfl uh 
another way that Dan Campbell just shoots himself in the foot. And I don't know what Detroit was doing defensively at the end of that game because after the series before, Detroit sends pressure up the middle every single play and gets Minnesota off the field and totally rattles Kirk Cousins. Uh, they didn't bring any pressure on those final two plays. Four-man rush, Minnesota handles it. Kirk Cousins strike to K.J. Osborne. Next play, Kirk Cousins strike to K.J. Osborne, who just cooked Mike Hughes, which I'm sure Vikings fans are used to seeing. Uh, just destroyed Mike Hughes on a one-on-one. Didn't look like any safety help over the top. Easy pitch and catch. Easy touchdown. Uh, Detroit is basically donezo at that point. Uh, J.R. Gott did throw a desperation interception, which was picked off uh, by Metellus, who, you know, hey, making your first start, good for you to end the game. But just a world-class botchery from Detroit. And, hey, Minnesota, somebody's got to take advantage, and the Vikings did that. Yeah, um, KJ Osborne, our guy, um, he just steps up and makes big plays. He was basically non-existent for the first, I guess, two games, but two and a half games because he basically first, didn't play this game either. So. First, okay, 60 minutes plus 60 minutes plus 59 minutes. Uh, yeah, for like the first 179 minutes of the season is pretty much uh, an afterthought. But uh, this is what he does. He's done this before. Um, I think this is what he's capable of. Obviously, it helps when you're going against a guy like Mike Hughes and, I guess, uh, you know, a, a defensive scheme that was just giving the Vikings everything underneath. And, and K.J. Osborne obviously was able to slip past someone on, on, on the right side, um, you know, wide open in the end zone. He caught it. The way that Detroit played defense, and you, and you touched on it, like in the final – on that final drive was was awful. But you see it so many times from – NFL teams. It's like, okay, we've been dominating this team all, all day, uh, blitzing, being really creative. Uh, but when, you know, when, when we, we, when we can't give up a touchdown or when we can't afford to give up a field goal, we change everything. And we only, you know, we rush three and we drop back in coverage because we're so good at that. And, 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 and so many teams do that. They play like this shell cover, you know, uh, they try to win the game by playing free vent. And, when, and you know the same. Prevents you from winning the game. When Minnesota just needed 20 yards over a minute and 10 seconds, which again, terrible decision to kick <laughs> that field goal. Uh, they needed 20 yards to get into field goal range. Like you had to stop them. You didn't have to present a big play. You had to like force a turnover on downs. And instead, they stopped doing what had worked all game, bringing pressure up the middle. Which Minnesota's interior offensive line, they can barely handle the four man rush. They cannot handle extra guys coming up there, as we've seen now from Philly and Detroit. But Detroit, Aaron Glenn, terror. I mean, like horrific uh, choices there in those last two plays of the game. And Minnesota takes advantage. Um, Kirk Cousins played a role in that too, and I want to get to that here after the break um, as we kind of break down the Vikings' offensive performance. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, back with Inside Purple and Gold. Jace Frederick, Dane Mizutani breaking down Minnesota's comeback 28-24 home victory over Detroit here on Sunday. Vikings moved to 2-1. and one. Uh, Look, like if, if you tuned in at the end of the game, if you watched Red Zone and you watched this game and that was all you saw, it was like, hey, Kirk Cousins and company comes back, gets it done. Um, and they did. Uh, I want to give Kirk Cousins credit on that. I do feel like to some degree that narrative is illegitimate in my head of like 
things Kirk Cousins can't do. I don't feel like he's ever been a guy where like in the last two minutes, if you just play prevent, he's not going to bust you up. Um, I think that's exactly what he will do. Um, look, if you, it's not like the two minute drill comes and the Vikings need a score and he just freezes up. Um, there've been many times in these last two or three years where he has led them down for a field goal, a touchdown, a go ahead thing, whatever. Oftentimes then the defense would give it right back at the end of the game. But, uh, look like he's a quality quarterback where like if guys get open and, and the line blocks, like he's going to find them. And he did exactly that. at the end of that game, uh, the thing is like, if you can make life difficult for him, then he might kind of collapse, which he did the drive prior, frankly, um, not diagnosing blitzes, no hot reads, um, just no, no plan of what to do when the pressure comes up the middle, but Detroit made it easy. And Kirk cousins, like if you make it easy for him, he's going to absolutely destroy you. And that's where he is head and shoulders above other quarterbacks in the league who might not always do that. Um, so Kirk cousins does come through when the game was going the opposite direction for much of the day. Um, Detroit certainly aided in that, but like Kirk cousins is good enough where if you screw up, um, if you might make life easy, if you can't figure it out, like he's going to make you pay. And, and he did exactly that. And I think we've, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like we've seen him do that a fair amount against teams playing that prevent style of these last couple of years. No, I, I think that's true. Maybe it's because he has so much practice and just like marching right down the field in garbage time. He just feels really comfortable when, when teams are giving him stuff over, you know, underneath. Um, he loves throwing the check down. So he's pretty good at throwing those, like those 10, 10, 11 yard digs over the middle. Um, this was no, not that I'm, neither one of these. Was I'm, that. I'm being critical. I'm being, I'm, I'm being a hater. Uh, yes. He's done that. Um, he has shown capable or the capability of, of orchestrating game winning drives. He did it against Detroit last year. Um, you know, Greg Joseph, I think he made a 54 yard field goal, but Kirk Cousins made two phenomenal throws in, in week five in, in the game that probably saved, Mike Zimmer's job. Everyone remembers that interaction where they like got into a brawl on the sideline almost. Um, Kirk Cousins can do that. He's capable of finding these open receivers. He's he's very accurate. He has a pretty good arm. The only thing that really, really gets to him is pressure, especially pressure up the middle. I, I don't know why you don't just dial up a like if they all if, if you only have two options, the the option is what a sitting back in coverage and letting Kirk Cousins scan the field while you rush three or four, or B blitzing everyone. Blitz eleven guys. B is this is the better option because Kirk can't. Kirk won't see the blitz and he and he won't diagnose it pre snap and then he crumbles in pressure. So, well, I'm being a little hyperbolic with the, this example, but like what Aaron Glenn did in, in, in the final drive of the game was embarrassing because we know how to beat Kirk Cousins there's so much tape on how to, how to pressure him, how to, how to make him uncomfortable. Uh, and, and, and you just did that on the drive before. So the fact that they were just let him sit back uh, was to your point earlier, just t- terrible coaching malpractice, but give Kirk cousins credit. Um, they, the Vikings needed a drive desperately. Um, they had put together a couple of drives throughout the day, throughout the second half. Um, but there's a lot of pressure when Kirk Cousins is getting the ball back after this missed field goal. U.S. Bank Stadium's ready to erupt, but also probably get, feeling really restless over the course of this this Sunday uh, in, in Minneapolis. And, and there's a ton of pressure when you when you go under center getting the ball back down a field goal. He made two great throws, one obviously for the touchdown, game over. So yeah, as much as I'll take every shot I can at Kirk Cousins, as much as I don't believe you can win a Super Bowl with him. Um, if we want to criticize him and we want to have this dialogue about him, 
we also have to give him a lot of credit when he deserves it. And today he deserved the credit. He deserved it on the last drive. Um, and again, this kind of comes down to like, okay, if the Vikings defense doesn't get that final stop, we're talking about how pitiful the previous game tying game winning attempt was. Um, Cause that was like non-competitive, frankly. Uh, but then given another opportunity, given chance to sit in the pocket and relax with four guys coming after him and the offensive line protecting like, yep, then he got it done. Uh, KJ Osborne, I do want to talk a little bit more about that. Five for 73 and a touchdown. Now two for 56 of that comes on the final drive. But like there's an emergence there. And, and just like that final play where you just watched, like I didn't quite understand what Detroit was doing, but it was Mike Hughes and KJ Osborne one-on-one and KJ Osborne beat him in like a second and a half and then beat him by like six yards. Um, and to me, that's just an example of like, Okay, this guy's a really good weapon. I um, mean, he's, he's a weapon good. who you can win deep with. And he also had a touchdown earlier in the game where Kirk Cousins just missed him by two yards, but mm-hmm. KJ ran wide open. Like, he's a good player. Like, we've seen it. I think this is kind of what we're looking at now. Detroit blitzed a lot in this game. Um, and the times they blitzed from the outside and whatnot, Adam Thielen was kind of like the hot read blitz beater. Um, a lot of times he was where the blitz was coming from. And, and that was leading to like 10 yards, eight yards, 10 yards. Like, the under route option and i think that's a good idea like i'd rather go to adam thielen in those spots than irv smith so like if, if adam thielen can be kind of your hot read like that's a great way to use adam thielen i'm not so sure if he can win a bunch down the field anymore we haven't seen that for a few weeks now uh, maybe it's to the point in the career where that's it um justin jefferson has now been taken out of games two weeks in a row which is kind of surprising but you have another guy who can win, who can win deep, who can like make massive plays for you, who can beat guys one-on-one consistently. That's KJ Osborne. So like use him. I don't know, look his way. I that's that's something that to me is kind of baffling when they don't, because every time we've seen this guy get opportunities, he makes the most of them. Um, maybe this is kind of the spark to to like light the light bulb up for Kevin O'Connell and say, KJ Osborne, interesting. Um Maybe that's a guy, well, at least it's deep shots, whatever it might be, um, to get more opportunities. I think so. And, and bear with me as I go down this rabbit hole. And it's can't wait. It's a little flawed in thinking. Um, but obviously, Justin Jefferson, for the first two weeks of his rookie season, did not get used. Did not get used properly. The Kubiaks hit him. I don't know what they were doing. Then he breaks out against the Tennessee Titans. Um, goes for like 180, touchdown, gritties into the end zone, whatever. From that point forward, I think it was like the Vikings realized, oh, we should use this guy more. I am not saying that KJ Osborne is Justin Jefferson, but I am saying when when you see evidence, even if it's anecdotal, manifest itself on a Sunday night or a Sunday, a, a Monday night, a Thursday night, believe it. Like this guy clearly can win. And I think we saw how the Vikings used Justin Jefferson in his rookie year moving forward. I think there's options and opportunities for the Vikings to use KJ Osborne moving forward. Um, I don't think he has to be a decoy. I don't think he has to be someone that is seeding routes to Irv Smith, seeding targets to Irv Smith. I think he's a really good football player that deserves a prominent role in, in this offense. And I think maybe when you see him make big plays in big moments, this new coaching staff, this is the first time they've seen KJ Osborne really make a big play in a big moment. Maybe you think to go to him more. Maybe you think this guy is someone we should try and scheme up open um, and not just kind of use as a third route runner. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, the the Vikings did obviously run the ball more in this game, and part of that is and, – and this is even a game where they got down 14-0, um, and they got back in the game, like building drives, running the ball. So some credit to Kevin O'Connell there. Like he 
talked about how kind of he was disappointed that he was trying to pass too much to tie the score um, in the game Monday night in Philly. He did not do that here, even when they got down both times in the first half and the second half, um, kept consistently running the ball. I do think a big part of that is like, well, they were successfully running the ball. Um, like against Philly, when you're giving up two yards on first down, it's hard to keep it coming. They were ripping off chunks of eight, 10 yards very consistently. Like there was no reason not to. There were times where it was like, you know, the broadcast was like, oh, probably setting up a play action fake here. And it was like, no, don't do that uh, because there's no reason to stall this drive out. You are ripping off chunks again and again against this pretty porous Lions defense. Um, so I think this is kind of the right mix. Uh, I, I think this is I don't think this is a team where you can just throw it 50 times. They got up to 41 today, which is obviously a lot. But like you've got to keep mixing with the offensive line you have, the quarterback you have, like the run has to be a consistent threat. Um, so I think maybe Kevin O'Connell is probably coming to realize that uh, the running game was really kind of what got the whole offense sparked today. Um, so that was pretty big for Minnesota. And it probably opened some things up in the passing game as well. But what do you think now of Justin Jefferson? Like, hey, Kevin O'Connell said, hey, he had a good game. He had a big impact on the game, um, even if the stats just don't reflect it. But still, we have to do a better job of getting him open. But this is the second time in two games now, with Jeffrey Okuda and, and Darius Slay, uh, where Justin Jefferson has been largely a non-factor. Like, you could easily forget that he was on the field oftentimes today. Yeah, I don't like that logic of, well, Justin ran his routes really hard and Detroit really tried to take him away. And because Justin Jefferson was getting so much attention, Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne were able to shine. Like, I dislike that logic. Because yeah, I'm just going to say, like, the offense, it wasn't like the offense was rolling all day today. There were many times where it was like, this is a struggle. Uh, so it's not like Justin did this, so our offense got to flourish. Like, it didn't flourish Correct. for a lot of the game. And I think that's what you say. Like that just is, is the right answer after a game like this, after two games great. like this. If you're Kevin O'Connell, you just say that. Oh, Justin's doing a great job. Um, part of this is on Justin Jefferson. Win, win, win yeah. more. Uh, yep. You know, uh, on a, on a on a play by play basis. But I think part of it's on the coaching staff too. Find creative ways to get him the ball in space. Cooper Cup just that, scored on a reverse on an end around touchdown today. Like it's all I ask. Like, yeah. Yes. So Stop setting up the screens uh, and the end rounds for Jalen Rieger. Like I know you love Jalen Rieger, but this is a very average football player. No gadget plays for Jalen Rieger anymore, please. Right. So just, just like it has to start and stop with Justin Jefferson because for two weeks in a row now, like you who claim that you want to be the best receiver in football have gotten basically schemed out of the game completely. Yep. Um dominated in prime time and then kind of just like very underwhelmingly, like not like invisible today, but just like pretty what invisible. Do you do? Like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty invisible. Yeah. Like. Um, CJ Ham had more receiving yards than you. You were invisible. Okay. Yeah. Invisible. Invisible two weeks in a row. Uh, coaches can scheme up the best uh, plays imaginable and, and that can get guys open. But if, if you're the best receiver in the league, you just have to get yourself open. You just have to, you know, be the guy who wins uh, that matchup. We saw with KJ Osborne, he beat Mike Hughes in that one-on-one matchup. Um, we don't obviously have the benefit of the all 22 and the tape and seeing how Detroit was scheming them. I'm, sh- I'm obviously sure they're shading over. It's not just Jeffrey Okuda and Justin Jefferson all, all against each other at all times. Um, there's a lot of nuance that goes into that. Um but he, he didn't win enough today. Um, he wasn't running open enough. Like how many times do you say when you watch Cooper Cup or when you've watched Stephon Diggs in the past or any other elite receiver in this league, Justin Jefferson, we, we've said this about him throughout his career, but like, wow, that guy is always open. 
he wasn't always open today. Um, and that's a problem. That's two weeks in a row now where he's been schemed out of the game. Um, I, I don't think this is some random, like, I, I don't think this is like, indicative of, of what's to come for Dustin Jefferson because we've seen so much, uh, you know, good out of him over the past two years. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, I'm going to need to see a little more uh, at, at this point. Um, two weeks in a row this happening to you is kind of unacceptable for a guy that, that claims he wants to be the best receiver in the league. Yeah, I think we can say for now he's not. Uh, he's not the best receiver in the league. Like, And maybe that's an early season reaction, but like Jeffrey Okuda shattered him today and just beat him. Um, and Darius Slay shattered him Monday night and just beat him. Um, and these guys are really good corners, but they also get lit up sometimes too by elite players. Like Cooper Cup can't consistently every single week be better than Justin Jefferson. We're saying Justin Jefferson's better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not like super worried about it. I think J- Justin Jefferson's going to have a great season, but like, you know, I, I think for him and and Kirk Cousins and the offensive staff, like they've got to figure this out because like there's no question they're at their best when Justin Jefferson's thriving. Like that's when this looks like a machine that can't be stopped. That does not look like that these last two weeks. I know 28 points today. I know a lot of offense. Um, big chunk of that comes late on those last couple drives when they're in desperation mode. Like there were a lot of times this year, the first and the third quarter today, it looked like this offense couldn't do a thing. Um and that's alarming against a bad defense. And it, like this is supposed to be the unit that carries this team. There's a lot to figure out. Um, the offense, like whatever they have to do for like blitz pickups, um, figuring out keeping more guys back there, whatever the case may be, offensive line shifting uh, protection, like figure something out. Because right now it is so like it can be as blatant as you want. It can be as obvious that it's coming as possible for the opponent to say, we're sending two guys in the middle gaps. And the Vikings will just sit there in the shotgun snap and it's like the eyes get big and it's like, oh no, here they come. And the ball gets snapped and that is it. Um, and it's, it's too obvious. It's like anybody can come up with that right now. And Minnesota's, it just, it literally like darts off all possessions. So I think there's a ton to figure out offensively for Minnesota. Any more thoughts on that before we break? Yeah, you'd figure after like two or three years of, of using Zoom during the pandemic, you'd figure out how to unmute. Um, no, there's, I don't want to add too much more. I just like, I, the, this this team looked in week one like wow they're gonna be fun to fun to watch like wow like this was not they're not <laughs> they're not fun to watch last two weeks week two against the Eagles week three against the Lions they have not been fun to watch this team has not been fun to follow um, you almost watched this this Detroit win and, and say like ugh they didn't deserve to win that game um, yeah, just be more fun and 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 a lot of that comes down to finding ways to to keep Kirk clean in the pocket. Uh, but it's just it no the offense has left a lot to be desired and and we thought this was going to be this high powered unit um it's not maybe it will be um it's still only week three heading into week four the vikings are two and one uh, heading into week four so like it's not all bad um, right but it's not fun it's not fun yeah it, it's like it you touched about the home win last year where they just came back and kicked that field goal at the end um and it was like well they won that game that was hideous that was a lot of their wins last year when they won. And that was exactly how this one felt. So like there's a, there's so much to figure out with this team and we'll get to the defense here right after the break, but the offense is not excluded from that whatsoever. All right. Back with inside purple and gold, Jace Frederick, Damian Zutani here breaking down the Vikings 28, 24 victory today on Sunday at home over Detroit. Kirk Cousins hits KJ Osborne on a 28-yard scoring strike with 45 seconds to play to put Minnesota's 
nose in front for the first time all game, and that was all they needed. Uh, if you enjoy this, if you're enjoying the season, if you're enjoying this roller coaster, uh, follow it along with us. Uh, follow, like, subscribe uh, to make sure this podcast and all of its future episodes are showing up on your favorite podcast platform as soon as they come out. Dane, okay, we've uh, fairly, I think, bashed the offense, um, even after it put up 28 points. And, like, look, I think the fact they can put up 28 points in a game where it doesn't look great is kind of another indication of, like, yeah, there's a lot of talent here, and there are playmakers, and there are guys who can figure it out uh, so that when the engine does get going, if Kevin O'Connell can figure that out, it could look as good as we thought it could before the season. Just not there yet. I can't say the same for the defense. I think this is kind of what we're looking at. Um, Look, you can point out, okay, the defense made the stops at the end when they had to. I I really think Detroit gets to like 35 points if Amon or St. Brown doesn't hurt his ankle, if DeAndre Swift doesn't have to come out of the game with an injury as well. Like, I get that happens. Delvin Cook left the game for Minnesota. But, um, yeah, like Josh Reynolds left the game uh, after colliding with a teammate, like a lot of different things that kind of came up Minnesota's defensive way. But this unit, it's just, there's nothing where you can point at them and say, well, they do this really well. Like they take this away. I don't think that about anything. Like Detroit got what it wanted in the running game for a lot of the game. Jared Goff looked very comfortable in the pocket. I don't know where Daniel Hunter is. He's, I mean, like he's on the field, but not making any type of impact whatsoever. The one time he almost got home was when he was on TJ Hawkinson. Uh, he did beat him and almost get home. And I think Hawkinson committed a hold that wasn't called. But to me, Hunter's losing to every tackle. I get it. This is a good offensive line. But the Vikings defensive line is generating no rush. The secondary is not anything to be feared. Uh, so they made the plays at the end when they had to. And that was all we said at the beginning of the season. Just do that. Uh, but that is it right now. And I think calling this like a mid-tier defense would probably be generous. Yeah, I think so. I think they're below average. Um, no sacks today against Detroit. No pressures. I mean, I can't think of times where they even like where Jared Goff had, I mean, he scrambled around a little bit, but like it was never like, oh, he just got that one. Away. There was a funny quote after week one, um, after the Vikings dominated the Packers in the season opener, um, our colleague, Chris Thomason went up and talked to Harrison Phillips, uh, nose tackle, starting nose tackle for the Vikings. Um, probably not someone everyone knows about just cause he kind of flies under the radar. Pretty good player. Uh, the quote was, and, and our colleague, Chris Thomason is, it's great at getting these quotes from guys, but I can't wait to have 10 sacks in the game this year. <laughs> the Vikings are not going to have 10 mm-hmm. sacks in the game this year. Yes, of course. <laughs> I'm not sure the Vikings will have 10 sacks in a month this year. Um, no, the pass rush, which we said all off season, all training camp could be something that band-aided a, a porous defense. Doesn't look like it's going to be that band-aid. It looks like it's going to be pretty mediocre. Um, so Darius Smith, Pretty good for the first couple weeks of the season, first few weeks of the season. Jimmy Hunter, as you mentioned, maybe just not the same player he was. Um, maybe that pass rush will pick up at some point, but at, at, at this point, we, like, there's no indication that tells us it's going to be a dominant unit, um, even above average unit. There's going to be weeks where Zedarius Smith just wins, and there's going to be weeks where Daniel Hunter probably figures it out and just wins. Um, but I don't think this is something we're looking at like, oh, wow, like, this is one of the best pass rushing duos in the league. Um, I think that ship has sailed. Um, and then you kind of go out from the defense from there. Like the secondary is bad. Um, they give up uh, almost hundred yards to Josh Reynolds. They would have given up guaranteed hundred yards to Amon Ross St. Brown if he didn't get hurt. Um, Eric Kendricks and Josh 
or you know Jordan Hicks had a lot of tackles um but that's I think, because I think they both played well too I mean like they were pretty good in coverage and whatnot like I think they had good games and that would be the highlight for me yeah, but your high tackles um, at, at the second level are normally yeah. because you're not getting a big push up front. Right. Um, uh, you know, Josh Metellus, he had he, he played pretty well, I, I thought. Like, um, Lewis Seen, I mean, we'll talk more about him um, in next week's episode or, you know, on Tuesday's episode. Yeah. But, like, he, something's something's going on there. That that dude is uh, is behind schedule um, when Josh Metellus is taking Harrison Smith's reps and not your first-round pick rookie. Um but Josh Metellus, you mentioned the stops down the stretch. The Vikings obviously got a great push on that fourth and one. And Josh Metellus got a, you know, the, the, the heave from Jared Goff. Josh Metellus was underneath that interception. He makes the play, uh, effectively ends the game. Um, so while we will bash on the, the defense, they did make the plays that they thought, you know, that they needed to make in, in those big situations. Who knows if that's something that they, they can continue to do moving forward. Uh, you just don't leave this game feeling confident about the defense. Um, you can walk away saying, all right, they, they did what they needed to do when they needed to do it. Um, I'm not sure you walk away feeling like, all right, they're always going to need do what they need to do when we need them to do it. Um, Crying baby at the airport. Um, yeah. And to like Hunter and Smith, like they were pretty non-existent in the pass rush. I will say like it was the fourth quarter when the Vikings hadn't needed big run stops. Like it was Hunter on the fourth and one with Jamal Williams. I was with, Darius Smith was very active in the run defense there as well. So, like, these are still, like, good players. And uh, it might very well be, frankly, that, like, they just happen to face two really good offensive lines. Like, the Lions have a very good offensive line. Still not at full strength, but very good, even as currently constructed. Now, the Eagles have a very good offensive line. These are, like, both top five units. So, maybe that's kind of what makes Minnesota look, you know, very much like average to below average on that defensive front they might be better than that uh, but you would just hope that they would get home twice you know in a game like this make a couple plays that like at least forces jared goff into an interception or or brings him down to end a drive and they just didn't and i didn't feel like hunter was close i didn't feel like he was a step away at any point um so there are concerns there and the secondary look i get it um i see this on twitter all the time fans are like what is this game plan? Like this umbrella cover to keep everything in front of you, making life really easy for your Jalen Hurts, your Jared Goffs. Just telling you, it's because there's no faith in the secondary and the guys they have back there. Um, you just looked at today, there was a ball that Jared Goff threw up. And Josh Reynolds seemed to lose the ball in the ceiling, um, you know, with the light shining through there. Josh Reynolds had beaten Patrick Peterson by like two yards. Uh, and then the ball landed like five yards away from Josh Reynolds who had stopped running because I think he thought the ball wasn't coming because he couldn't see a ball anyway. Uh, but that's what happens. Like we've seen Patrick Peterson get beat a lot. Patrick Peterson looks like a good zone coverage corner at this point in his career. I'm not a man-to-man guy. There's a, a couple different guys like that in the secondary. They're very – I don't think you trust them to really hold down anybody one-on-one and not get beat for a big play. So I think that's what they're going to stick with. They're like, okay, our offense is pretty good. Hopefully our pass rush gets home more often than not. Um, we have good linebackers, so like we'll just rally and tackle. Um, I think that's going to be the plan. I think that's what they truly believe is the best path forward for this defense. It's not going to be a top-10 unit, but they're like, maybe we can only give up 24 and still win that way. Like I, I really think they see it playing out like it played out today, frankly. Yeah, I think like Patrick Peterson is he's just he's just not what he used to be, and that's fine. But like that was this is on the Vikings for for running it back this year and not going to go find another competent corner. Um, Patrick Peterson can still do some things very well on the football field. Um, but if you're asking him to be your number one shutdown corner, 
you're just asking him to do too much. Um, and he's a really proud guy. He's like, obviously, you know, one of the, the premier cornerbacks of our generation or of that generation um, when he, when he was in his prime, but he's not, he's not that anymore. He's, he's, he's way past his prime and that's not like his fault. He's, he's getting old. He's going to retire soon. Uh, but the Vikings have asked him he to said, be their number the broadcast, one. They asked him, how much more do you want to play? And he said, like, four more years is his goal because he's always thought of the 16-year mark. Okay, well, maybe. <laughs> he can play uh, special teams or something. It'd be like the, the designated punt blocker or the deal yeah, goal blocker because right, he, right. he looked really athletic there. Um, but it, it's just like you we knew this, we, right? We, we, knew, we knew this about the secondary. Like, Patrick Peterson's up there in age. Is he going to be what he was? Cam Denzler, as, as much as he grades out well in, in, on certain websites, um, you know, you watch him play and he doesn't follow the technique that the coaches want him to do all the time. Yeah, he's a great tackler and run coverage, but he, he gets beat a lot. Um, for the record, we, we talked to Ed Donatel last week that that coverage bust against the Eagles, long touchdown, that was on Cam, Cam Dantzler. Right. Um, Dantzler was supposed to carry that up the field. So it's these things like this. Um, and you, Like, you're right. The reason you're in shell coverage is because you don't believe that your corners can win one on one. You don't trust your safeties to win, um, you know, at that that second level. They, they, why would you? Why would you trust them? Like they, they've shown who they are through through three weeks of the season, uh, and I don't think they're just going to flip a switch and be great all of a sudden. Um, a Caleb Evans is going to start getting a lot of time, and 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 while he's shown flashes, that that should, speaks to your lack of depth when. Uh, your fourth round rookie out of Mizzou, uh, Caleb Evans, is going to probably be one of your main rotational cornerbacks uh, moving up here. Um, we'd like to see Andrew Booth. I, I'm curious what he can do, but at, at, at this point, I think you're worried about injuries with him. I think he's had three different ones since being drafted, and, and this is a guy when he was drafted said he's never been healthy since high school. So I think injuries are going to be an issue there. The secondary is just – it is what it is. Um, not very good. Yeah. Um, I agree. And you know, that's, that's almost like, okay, well, they figured out a way to only give up 24 points to an offense that while it got banged up today um, and looked like they were on pace for much more uh, scoring 14 pretty early. Like they found a way uh, to make stops, make adjustments. They did kind of find a way to do that against Philly too. And I think like we talked about last week, how like Philly kind of stepped on itself. And I think Detroit stepped on itself at certain points today too. That's the whole point, right? Like that's the reason why you keep everything in front of you is that you make teams execute again and again and again. 10 times to score on you. Like that's the whole reason why you do that. So we can say, okay, what are you doing? Get more, get up there, get more aggressive. Like you didn't stop that drive until they committed a penalty. It's like, that's the whole point um, is that it's hard to consistently put together successful play, successful play, successful play. We don't think we have the personnel to go challenge you. So what we're going to do instead is make you come out and beat us time and again. And can you do that five times, uh, five drives in a game, a lot of times the answer will be no. Um, and so I guess maybe that this is the best strategy going forward. I do think like this week I want to talk about, okay, we don't think this team is great right now in Minnesota. We certainly don't. Um, but maybe areas where they can improve, like the path forward to become a better team because they are still two and one, right? Uh, they are still in a decent position where if they figure things out, uh, there could be a lot ahead of this team. But I think there's a long way to go. But I want to wrap with this. Like, Tell me if you agree. I think Minnesota is like, super similar to Detroit right now. Minnesota figured it out, but you look at where these two teams are and I think it's 
for the Detroit perspective, they're disappointed today. But right now, Detroit looks like a team that's ascending. Minnesota looks like a team that's holding on. And they are, like, crossing paths right now. And Minnesota proved to be one nose ahead. Um, but I got to think that Minnesota would hope at the beginning of the season that they would be far superior to the, I guess, right now, third best team in the NFC North. Yeah, especially when you do what you did to Detroit or Green Bay Packers in week one. I think you think you're miles ahead of the Detroit Lions, and you're not. And the Detroit Lions deserve some credit. They've taken steps forward as a, as a franchise. They're not this walkover team they once were. Um, they're still the Lions at the end of the day. Um, but this is it's it's very close right now. And I think that speaks to the Vikings just as much as it does the Lions. Like the team is just kind of average. Um, I think they're just they're a team that's going to it's getting loud in the airport, Chase. Um, they're they're a team that's just gonna be, I think, flirting with that playoff cut line. I don't think I they I think they still are a playoff team. I think that's still within their reach. Um but I don't think you look at this team and think, wow, they can make a run. Um, I don't think we felt like that at any point in the off season. And I certainly don't feel like that now a month into the regular season. Yeah, I agree with you a lot to break down with this team. I think we'll get into that on Tuesday. Where can they go? Biggest concerns right now, how the course can be corrected to, you know, not necessarily improving the win column. Like we said, two and one, if you looked at the first three games on the schedule, you'd say, yep, that's good. Uh, that might be as probably ahead of where some people would have put them with those green Bay and Philly games on the schedule. But it's the way they're getting there. Maybe isn't the most convincing. There's a lot of room to grow. We'll look at those as we move into this next week here as the Vikings head into that London game against the Saints team that looks really bad these last couple of weeks since James Winston had those back fractures um, suffered in that week one victory. That's a Saints team in rough shape right now. So maybe Minnesota can get to three and one. Um, and then you look at Chicago and now it's like four and one. There's, there's a lot of potential wins on this schedule, but exactly what it means it kind of depends on where this team becomes um so we'll get into that as we move forward here in the week um for now though the vikings do get the win they pull it out uh player of the game quick um i think i'm gonna go with kj osborne kj osborne definitely yeah not a lot of standouts from this game dalvin cook had a good game but then uh you know he loses the fumble and gets hurt later on in that play so maybe takes himself out of the equation on that one uh but kj osborne comes through when he needs it maybe he shows kevin o'connell and kirk cousins like hey don't forget about me i'm a playmaker too uh for damey zutani i'm jace frederick this has been inside purple and gold we'll be back tuesday thanks so much for listening goodbye Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company. 